I don't know whether many of you know the American National Anthem. I do. Many, many years ago now, almost 30, I got a scholarship to a college in to an Adventist college. The fact that I got a scholarship is proof that there's God in heaven because Lloyd deserves some things, but one thing I've never deserved is a scholarship. But I was not walking with the Lord and he took me to the United States of America to Pacific Union College, which is one of our Adventist colleges, and there the Lord claimed me as his own. I had a conversion over there. It was the beginning of a long walk for the Lord and I. He found me. He sought me. He got me. But when I was in the United States of America, I got to know the American National Anthem. Have you heard the American National Anthem? I wish it was ours. It is spectacular. It's very moving. And I want to tell you the story of the American National Anthem. On September 13, 1814, the Americans were involved in a war. And it was a pretty ferocious, vicious war. It was a war against the British. In fact, it was this war that really bonded America and Britain together to be the strong allies that they are today. And it was a, it was a complicated war and it, it really went, this war raged from America in the south to Canada in the north. And when you look at this war that the, now this is not the war of independence. The, the Americans had already won that in, in the 1770s. Uh, Andrew Jackson's the president now. They're well into their history of 40 or 50 years and they're having another war with the British. Uh, and it raged right across America and into Canada. And one particular morning, September 13, 1814, something happened. There was a man by the name, and I'm going to get his name right here, of Francis Scott Key. Now this is in Baltimore. And he has a friend who's been captured by the British. And he's on a British warship in Baltimore Harbour. And so this man, Francis Scott Key, who was an American patriot, goes out to the boat and pleads for his release. Well, the British, and I don't know how they, this worked, but the British decided to release this guy. But they, but while he was out there, he worked out that these British warships that were in Baltimore Harbour were about to attack Fort McHenry. It was an American fort full of American soldiers. And so the British said, well, we will release your friend and you, but you're going to have to wait here until we've finished this attack. Otherwise, we know that you'll go and tell them it's about to happen. And so he waited on a British warship, this man by the name of Francis Scott Key, and he watched the British as they opened up with their large guns on this fort in Baltimore Harbour, Fort McHenry. And it was an awesome sight to see as these big guns, the biggest guns on ships of that day, opened up on this fort. Uh, it, it, it bombed the fort all night. There was smoke, there were flame, there were bombs flying everywhere. And, and, and Francis Scott Key is thinking to himself, they will never survive this bombardment. But as the sun came up over the horizon and a new day dawned, there was the American flag, ragged but standing proud and tall, and the American forces had withstood the assault of the British and they won that battle. In fact, there's an argument that they actually won the war of 1812, 1812 with the British. They won that battle. And Francis, he was so overcome, so moved by the bravery, the dedication, dedication and the suffering 
of his countrymen, these soldiers in that fort, that he went home and he wrote the American national anthem. I say, do you see by the dawn's early light? And it goes on to talk about the flag that waves so proudly. And I'm an Aussie. And when I'm in America, and when I'm living there with the Americans, the pride of their history even infected me. Now, I don't know whether it's the right hand or the left hand. Bruce, which one is it that you put over your heart? The left. So even as an Australian, it's a right hand. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'll talk to you later about that, Bruce. <laughs> I've got Americans in the audience. So even when I and Aussie are over there and they're singing the national anthem, I'd stand up and I'd put my hand over my chest. And I'll tell you what, it put a shiver. I can feel it now down the back of your neck and your hair would stand up. It is awesome. And American history is awesome. Look, I know that American history has its dark, has its dark story too. I know about the wars with the indigenous tribes, the Indians, and how they were forced off their land. I get that. I get very clearly, because I've seen the aftermaths of it myself when I lived there, how the war on slavery was a war that reached right down into the deep in the heart of the American soul. But you've got to give the Americans credit. They abolished slavery. And so although their history isn't always shining in the sun, it is a fabulous history. And I think we have to concede that it is because of the United States of America, this great bastion of freedom, that we have enjoyed the freedoms that we experience in Australia and in the West today. They have been the bulwark. Often it's them that have paid the price. It was the Americans, make no mistake, that came in with the Allies and won World War I. It was the Americans, make no mistake, that came in with the Allies and won World War II. Pearl Harbor was a disaster, but I want to tell you that it, it saved Australia. It saved Australia. And you can talk to my grandfather, who's not with us anymore, so you can't talk with him. But he was a soldier, a frontline combat soldier in Papua New Guinea. And he will talk to you. When, well, he would talk. Well, he, he actually didn't like to talk a lot about it at all. But he will tell you that it was the Americans fighting side by side with the Australians who saved Australia from the Japanese invasion. It was the American ships out on the Coral Sea who fought that great battle that stopped the Japanese in their tracks. And so we have much to thank the United States of America with. In fact, my mum was in Europe. And sometimes it can be a bit of an anti-American flavour over there. And uh, she was, my dad was a chaplain in the American army for all of Europe. And so he would run a lot of programs for the um, American servicemen. And my mum tells a story one day, and this kind of brought out for me how much we do have to thank the Americans for. She's in this environment where, where some of the Germans were a little anti-American, and they were talking anti-American stuff. And my mum probably wouldn't like me to say this, but she came quite forthright. And she was listening to these Germans go uh, on about this anti-American stuff they're talking about, and she'd had enough. Now, she's Australian, 
but she'd had enough. And she looked across at these beautiful German people as they were, and she said, well, you know what? You ought to thank God for the Americans, because if you never had the Americans, you'd be all talking Russian, and that was the end of the discussion. (laughs) The fact is, I know America are not a little innocent boy. They're not innocent, and probably as all nations are, guilty of many crimes. But we have much, as Australians in the West, to thank America for. Amen? Amen? They've been good to us. But the Bible has something to say about the United States. I think when you come from the West, sometimes this can be difficult for us to confront. And I talk to some of my American pastors, friends, and some of my American friends, and this is very difficult Bible study for them. But I think if you support America and you support the approach of freedom that America has advanced for the last 200 years, this is a very difficult study to comprehend and take. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to take in broad brush strokes to the future of America. Let's look at it, Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. This is the prophecy. John the beloved, John, Jesus' disciple on the island of Patmos, he has this prophecy. Jesus gives him this prophecy for a reason, and I'll share that as we conclude. John, uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, John in vision says, in vision on the Sabbath says, Then I saw another beast. We have always understood in Adventism and in much of Protestantism, by the way, that this beast that John sees is the United States of America. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. The Revelation 17.15 is a key. Revelation 17.15 tells us that in prophecy, the sea represents lots and lots of people. So if this beast comes out of the land, it comes up out of an area of the world where there are few people. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Revelation 13 verse 12, we looked at this in the last sermon I preached here a couple of weeks ago. And this beast, the United States, and I think we're probably talking future here still, he exercises, although I think we're getting close, and this is why this study of these prophecies matters, because what I'm talking to you about today I think is unfolding. I've often said through the past that if my grandfather, who was a pastor, Adnan's pastor, and used to preach this stuff in tents all around Australia, if he was alive today, he'd be jumping up and down in excitement of what he's seeing happening. Because the Bible says that he, the United States, exercises all the authority of the first beast, and we've always understood and Protestantism understands that the first beast is the Church of Rome. And in the old days, in the dark ages, in the ancient times, from about... I'd say five, maybe even 470 AD, right through to about 1800. Rome ruled supreme, the Church of Rome. You've got to go and look at your history. She ruled supreme. No one, not even emperors and governors, and we looked at this in my last presentation here. No one could stand against the power of Rome. But the Bible says here that America, and Rome received a a fatal wound in 1798, when the Pope was taken prisoner, taken back to Germany, and there he died. And that was the end of the Church of Rome's influence on the world for quite some time. But then the Bible says here something starts to happen. We have another kingdom, another power, 
Another authority is the United States of America. She's rising up. At first she'd speak like a lamb. She'd be Christian. She'd be founded by Christian. She'd have Christian principles. She'd advance freedom. She'd fight for freedom. She'd give the world freedom. She would lead the world into freedom. This is this great mighty nation, the United States of America. Oh, I love her. But the Bible says that she who loved freedom, who spoke like a lamb, who followed Jesus, who even looked like Jesus, that eventually she would speak like a dragon. And then in verse 12 it says, And he, the United States, exercises all the authority that Rome used to have. And I spoke to you just a week or two ago about this. How in reality... Where the world is saying China is rising, and yes, she is. Russia is rising, yes, she is. And they are a challenge to the United States. Yes, they are. But the Bible says here, and we as Adventists and we as Bible students, those of you who are seeking the Lord, we need to understand and recognise what the Bible's saying here. It is saying, and she, he, will exercise, the United States will exercise all the authority of the first beast. Let me tell you today, and you can be firm on this, the United States is not going down. Amen. She's on the rise. She's not going down. Her power will increase until there will come a time in the near future where the United States will exercise all the authority that Rome ever had through the Dark Ages, through the Middle Ages. I'll tell you, go and do your study. That is ultimate authority. That is authority that no one challenges. That is authority that can enforce anything. America is on the rise. If she's not going down, she's on the rise. And the United States exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all those in the earth to dwell in it, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The Bible says here the United States will cause the whole world to worship Rome. Incredible. How's it going to happen? Well, the Bible gives us glimpses. They're only glimpses. And we live in exciting, really challenging times because we're going to see this unfold before our eyes. We're going to see prophecy happen. This is what John was talking about almost 2,000 years ago. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast, that's Rome in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, Rome, whose deadly wound was healed. And I talked about in the last sermon how Rome after 1798, went down. But then we talked about how Rome also is on the rise. Uh, 1933, Mussolini, the Lateran Treaty. And then we've seen constantly, the well, Lateran Treaty, which made Rome again a, 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 a kingdom, a nation, a, a, a religio-political, a religious, it's a religion, but it's also a nation now. It's the only religion that has ambassadors with which literally every country in the world, they sit in the UN, you won't find the Adventist Church, you won't find the Baptist Church, you won't find the Methodist Church, you won't find the Pentecostal, which is the fastest growing Christian organisation on the planet at the moment, you won't see the Pentecostal Church in the UN, but you will see Rome. It says Rome's wound will be healed. It says Rome will gain her ascendancy, will gain her power again. This is future. We're seeing it starting to unfold, but it's still future. And it says here, it's incredible. So incredible that there are pastors even in our own movement and preachers and teachers and leaders who are rejecting it. They're saying it can't happen. 
It's impossible. But let me tell you something, and I've learned this from history. We who do not study history tend to forget it because what happened in history can happen in the future. Hallelujah. Amen. We know it. And Rome, who once was, will be again and is on the way to be. And it is the United States who will provide the power to force, well, not just to force, to cause, the Bible says, the whole world to worship the beast. Well, let's look at how they're going to do it. These are glimpses, and I I paint in broad brushstrokes here, and I wish I knew more, because if I knew more, I'd tell you. But as a pastor and a preacher, a teacher, an Adventist, when I don't dare share with you what's not clear, I'm not going to go into supposition. I'm not going to guess today. I'm just going to share with you what the Bible says. Revelation 13, 13. This is interesting, eh? Don't you think so? It's interesting. Revelation 13, 13. This is relevant. This is prophecy for our day. He, this is the United States, performs great signs. Now watch this. So he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. It says that the United States performs these incredible signs of fire coming down from heaven in the sight of man. Now, now, what is that fire? Missiles, bombs, bullets, planes coming out of the sky? We have to go to the Bible to find that out. And if you go to Acts chapter 2, open your Bible there. I'm not going to read anything. I just want you to open your Bible right now to Acts chapter 2. Just have a quick glance at it. Do it. If you've got your Bibles here, go to Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, you've got a story of the early Christian church. And I pray that the story of the early Christian church will be the story of new hope. Can I hear an amen to that? Thank you. So here we are, the Christian church. Jesus has gone back to heaven. He tells them to wait. Because he says, I'm going to send something to you. And what did he send? He sent the Holy Spirit, and by the way, I appreciate the General Conference giving us these lessons on the Holy Spirit, because if ever there's a subject Adventists need to study, it's the Holy Spirit. He's powerful. He's a third person of the Godhead. He leads, he teaches, he inspires, he fuels us to go out and finish the work. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to descend on this church, and I'm praying that he's coming to new hope in more power than he already is. He's going to descend on this church, he's going to do amazing things. And so these disciples and early Christians are sitting around, This is these are Jesus converts. Oh, wouldn't it be beautiful to be a convert of Jesus' actual ministry on the earth? And they're sitting there, they're waiting, they don't know what's going to happen. They're praying, they're reading the Bible, they're studying. They're trying to draw closer to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you can read the story in Acts chapter 2. There's a great rushing wind and the Holy Spirit comes into that room and he puts flames of fire on the head, symbolic of the fact the flames were real. You could see them, but symbolic of the fact that they are now baptised of the Holy Spirit. And you better believe me that being baptised by the Holy Spirit today is as important as it's ever been. And if you're not baptised by the Holy Spirit... You need to go. You need to get in your Bible. You need to pray. You need to seek Jesus. And you too need to wait because he will come just as he did at Pentecost. This fire that comes out of the United States of America is a movement of the Holy Spirit, but it's a movement of a false, counterfeit Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, how can you tell whether the movement's 
a counterfeit or it's true. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. And I've got to tell you, as an end time preacher, pastor, student, disciple of Jesus, I take this text very carefully. And I judge every movement that claims the Holy Spirit by it. Now, I'll tell you something about the United States of America. They are still the centre of Protestant Christianity today. What happens in America impacts Christianity right around the world, not just the Western world, right around the world. And God says that in this lamb-like beast, there will be great revivals of fire that will lead people back to Rome. These are Christian revivals. People in them think they're of God, but they're moving them, they're cajoling them, they're seducing them back to Rome. How can I judge a revival? Do we have revivals in Adventism? Do we have good revivals? Huh? Sometimes. Is it good that what's happening here at New Hope? Yeah. Do we have bad revivals? Well, in Christianity, are there good revivals outside of Adventism in Christianity? Oh, yeah. You want to go to Wales at the beginning of the 1900s. You had a revival there that set Great Britain, America, literally the whole world on fire at that time. So how do you tell a false revival from a good one? There's an easy way to do it. We, as God's people, need to find this, these truths in the Bible more. And we need to stick by them. We need to, we need to rely on them. We need to believe them. And we need to follow them. Isaiah 8.20, put there for us. This is how you tell a false revival from a true one. Isaiah 8.20, to the law. What law? Well, I'm going to say the Ten Commandments. To the law and to the testimony. What's the testimony? Second Peter, the testimony is holy men of God speaking as they are moved by who? So what's the best example of the testimony we have? Yeah, it's Jesus, but where do we get that from? The Okay, so this is how you judge a false revival from a true revival. And if you get nothing else out of this, take this home today. This is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna work really well for you, this text, as we go into a time of revival. Cause there is true revival coming to Adventism. It's coming. It's already in places, but it's coming. We're gonna see the Holy Spirit descend on this church and we are gonna see amazing miracles. We're already seeing it in New Hope. It's gonna get bigger. It's gonna get bolder because this war between God and Satan is coming to an end and both God and Satan are coming and working in increasing power. But just as we see good revivals, we're gonna see bad ones. So how do you tell? Well, to the law, does this revival lead people to the Ten Commandments? That's a big one. And the second one doesn't lead them to the Bible. Do do you hear me? And so when I see a revival breaking out in some church in America, or I see a revival breaking out here in Australia, I'm asking myself, even in Adventism, I'm saying, well, look, I'm looking at it. I'm judging it. I'm judging the revival, not the people in it. Do you get that? Do you get that? So I'm asking myself, is this revival leading people to the Ten Commandments? And obedience? 
I know you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the law working inside of you is the fruits of that salvation that's occurred. Hallelujah. Yeah, is this revival leading people to the law and the pure lives that God calls us to, to live? Is it leading them into the Bible? Are they searching the Bible? Are they reading the Bible? Are they studying the Bible? Are they obeying what the Bible teaches and preaches? I'll tell you what, pretty quick you're going to work out whether or not the revival's of God or not. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Revelation 13, 13. He performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. If I had more time, I think I'd spend more time just on this and talk about some of the revivals I'm seeing. But let me give you a little warning. There's a lot of stuff happening inside Adventism and outside of Adventism that's of God. But there's a lot of stuff happening inside of Adventism and outside of Adventism that is not of God. In fact, the majority of the great revivals we see happening in the world today, where churches are exploding, where the Holy Spirit seems to be present, are not of God. And I can stand here and say that because I apply the furnace of Isaiah 8.20 to that revival, and they fall down. Revelation 13.14, And he, the United States, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Look, let me just put that in English for you because of the time we've got. One of the reasons I want you as a church to join these small groups, which will start in April, the first week in April, is because we need the time to sit down and to unpack these truths. True, eh, Claire? You can't do it in the 40, in the 30 to 40 minutes I've got. But what this text is saying is that through these revivals, the church will be brought back to Rome. And I am stunned, not stunned, not even surprised, amazed, because I'm seeing prophecy unfold before my very eyes. When I see the leaders of these great Pentecostal and non-Pentecostal revivals of these mega churches, I am amazed as they flock to Rome. And we're going to have a lot more look at this in our small Bible study groups, but I'm also going to share some more stuff from the pulpit with you in the next month or so on this as well. But what the Bible's saying is here is these revivals that break out in America where fire's coming down from heaven, and it is, it's a false fire, it's a counterfeit, they're going to lead people back to Rome. They're going to seduce them. This is the, the seduction part of the story. But that's not where it stops. Verse 16. Because the seduction, Satan will do two things to you. He'll seduce you. And if he can't seduce you, guess what he'll do? He'll force you. He'll seduce you or he'll force you. And here we get the element of force coming in. 
He was granted, the United States was granted to give, give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is stunning. This is future. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to unfold. If you haven't read it, read The Great Controversy. Never has this book been more relevant than it is today. It unpacks it in more depth, but even so, it still leaves great grey areas we're not sure of. But somehow, somewhere, someplace, the United States is going to use both her economic and her awesome military power after this time of seducing and seduction has stopped, she's going to use her awesome military power to drive, to force people back to worship of Rome. And if they don't go, if they won't go, if they can't be seduced, if they can't be forced, then the Bible says they will be killed. Now, you might say, that's extraordinary, Lloyd. You can't be serious. Are you telling me that in the 21st century we could reach a place in the Western world where people would give their lives for Christ rather than go to Rome? Look, I'm a rough historian. I love history. I've got a degree in history. I have done Australian history. I've done American history. I've done medieval ancient history. We've got to go back to history to see the future. If you don't think America and China or America and or Russia can fight, if you don't think there's the potential of a war, I'm not saying there's going to be. But if you don't think there's potential for that, if you don't think the South China Sea is a genuine flashpoint, if you don't think that Donald Trump is a serious man and when he talks he's a man of action, he does it, then you better go back and do some study in history because the history of man says there has always been wars. Do you think that our hearts and our minds are any different than those of the past? Do you? Of course war's possible. God forbid. And let's hope and pray it never happens. But make no mistake with the President in the United States of America, love him or hate him, he's no muck around guy. You get that, don't you? What I'm finding with this guy is when he says it, he does it. They thought he was all going to get in and then become a politician. Well, it hasn't happened. I mean, he even told the Australian Prime Minister off. What's wrong with this bloke? <laughs> He did. He told the Australian Prime Minister off. Apparently the Australian Prime Minister gave it back to him as good as he got. Um, but the fact is that you've got a guy now who's a shaker and a mover. Anything's possible. Go back into history. Walk through Europe like I have. That continent is bathed in the blood of 50 million plus martyrs who were put to the sword by Rome. And if Rome can do it in the past, then it's time we started to recognise in our soft, pleasant Western world that she is capable, and the Bible goes further, she will do it in the future. Now I'm going to finish this with one more text because I want to leave you on a very sobering note. Revelation 13, verse 16. He causes... 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And no one can buy or sell. This is all a part of the force. Except those who have the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now listen to me. That mark, I've heard a whole lot of wacky stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Do you see it? Every now and again, it comes from Adventists too. Whoa, we're in trouble. They're going to put a computer chip in our hand. They're going to put something inside our forehead. They're going to, no, come on. When it says you're going to receive a mark, all it's saying is you'll either be seduced or you'll be forced. If you receive the mark in your forehead, it means you got caught up in these revivals and you believe what you're into. You believe you're being led by God, that you're on his course. The mark is in your forehead. You're a believer. If it's in your hand, well, you may not be a believer, but you're doing it anyway because you've been forced. Blessed are they who do not receive the mark in their forehead or in their hand. Blessed are they who receive the mark of Jesus Christ. And do you know what the mark of Jesus Christ is? Someone said the Sabbath. There's more than that. That's the Holy Spirit, the mark of Jesus Christ. That's why these lessons are so important that we're doing in Sabbath school at the moment. Oh, you should be here. If you're not here, you should be here. Because these lessons are preparing us for the end times. It's baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's full conversion. It's God, here I am. I'm your man. I'm your woman. Take me over. Here's my heart. I hold nothing back from you. You can have my car. I'll sell it if that's what you want me to do, Lord. And I'll put the money to the work or I'll do it. You can have my house, Lord. You can have my farm. Do you know how much I love my farm? I said to the Lord, you can have my farm. When you tell me, and I say to God, don't get a pastor to come in and tell me. I'm not going to respond to that. I don't respond to pastors who come in and say, well, well, Aaron, <coughs> you've got a, a two or three expensive houses there, and I've seen the two car, that truck you drive around. It's a beauty in that car. Now, now you need to sell them and give them to the work. Have you, have you heard that? Well, and they can, they can give you inspiring stories too. And I've seen people go out and sell their houses and give all the money to the work, and then I've seen those same people walk straight out the door and out of the church because they get upset, confused, well, what they thought would happen, a great move in the Holy Spirit in the end of time doesn't happen. So this is what I say to God, and I, I encourage you to this as I finish. I say, God, you can have my car. You can have my motor. You, yep, you can have my BMW, Andrew. You can have my old Mazda. You can have, you can have Liska's Mazda. Mazda. You can have my, my I, I just got a little um, VW Golf. You can have it, Lord. You can even have my farm. But you... Lord, have to tell me. And when we, you tell me, I will give it to you. And for God to tell me, I have, a, have, I have to have a relationship in the Bible and in prayer, I have to be born again of the Holy Spirit so I know it's God speaking. Hallelujah, amen. All these great things, I wish I had more time, but I'm up. There are great things happening in the world today. We are seeing prophecy unfolding. If you could hear the noise of the chariots in heaven, I think you'd hear them preparing to come. But I've said it before and I'll say it again, before it happens and before Jesus returns, we've got to cross a wide, wide river 
And we have trials and we have challenges before us. And as I close, I do it once again, as I've been doing right through this sermon and right the whole time I've been in the church. I point you to Jesus Christ, the star of Revelation. I point you to a, I plead with you. I, 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 I ask you, I implore you into a relationship with him. Turn the TV off. Forget the sport. Take your earphones out and spend some time with Jesus and get to know him. As I said, opening this service, you will stand firm. You will be led by the Holy Spirit. You will not be seduced. You will not be forced. You've got Jesus. You will not have the mark of the beast in either your head or your hand. You'll be marked by Jesus Christ. You'll stand through this time of Satan's fury. You'll stand righteous through his grace and you'll stand as a beacon of light for a world that's dying. God is calling that from us. Soon he will return. Now is the time that he calls us to live for him to stand up and make a difference full of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Oh, I wish and I pray that experience on you today. 